1: Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here today. I have two ah, wonderful, amazing guests that I really want to get to today. Um, But of course, first, we have a section from my book. This one is actually a very, very personal section. So I want to get to this right away, and then I'm going to introduce my guests for you. And this section is called, If We Recognize Our Progress, We Don't Need Another's Praise. This This one goes deep for me. That's nice, but you can do better. How often do we hear words that don't really acknowledge us, the person who thinks they are being supportive, they think they are helping us to do better, yet that lack of true recognition only brings us down? It is not so uncommon that we feel we've done something good, either at home, at work, or for some organization. We feel good about what we've accomplished. We feel we have improved and reached a higher level of achievement, and in our joy and excitement, we ask for someone else's opinion. But when they give it, we wish they hadn't. For as soon as the words leave their lips, we know we are in for disappointment. We can feel the criticism coming with the first syllable, you can do better. Of course we can. And we will. Really, all we wanted was for them to say, good job, and mean it. We all feel a need for validation from someone else at some point. We all crave some words of encouragement, but all too often we are met with a cold, uncaring comment. That insensitive comment bites hard, and when we remember that sting, it helps us to think about what we say to others. How do they feel when we criticize them? They are no different than us, and we can all do better at showing our support and encouragement. We can all be kinder and gentler to other people. Most of all, we can be kinder and gentler to ourselves. If the world around us does not recognize our achievements, we can recognize them ourselves. We can go out and celebrate by ourselves or with someone else who is supportive and caring. We do not have to seek recognition from someone who is unwilling or unable to give it. We can find another way to feel good about ourselves. Looking for recognition externally is a trap. Because often the validation of effort and intention we seek simply does not come. If we can learn to self-validate our efforts, and then the, then the lack of recognition from others does not sting as much. The charge around it is lessened. And sometimes it is just about choice. Perhaps the person we are looking for recognition from is just not someone who can give it. Perhaps they never received it themselves, so they do not know how to give it. So let's look elsewhere. Let's find someone who is capable of giving it. Let's ask someone whom we know actually wants to encourage us. Sometimes the best choice we can make is to just keep quiet and smile to ourselves. And sometimes it is just about asking a different person. Who in you, your life can you count on to celebrate with you? What kind of self-recognition can you give yourself? So <laughs> this uh, section of the book I wrote a number of years ago, and it came after um, when I was, I've been studying with with a mentor for a, a couple of years, and I had been really uh, working hard uh, to 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 uh, follow what they say to improve to be more aware of my stuff and it was like no matter what i did he would always find the one little thing that i didn't do right or the one little thing that could have been better and 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 criticize me on that and and, and always point out well you know you could have done this or you could have done that and yeah, absolutely. Was he right about it? Could I have been a little more on top of things? Could I have done a little bit differently? Sure, absolutely no question about it. But is that what I needed to hear in the moment after working so hard to to to, you know, take care and do the things that were supposed to happen? It just felt very cold and very unsupportive to me. Now, look, I'm not saying that like if you don't do something right, that it shouldn't be pointed out to you. But in contrast to that, you know, I often talk about the evolutionary business council and and, and how that group of people is such a feels such an important part of of my soul family. I call them. And and when we practice, and as part of their speak their their uh, facilitators training program. And, and as part of it, part of it is giving feedback. And the way they would always give feedback is first say what someone did well, then mention what could have been improved. And then, um, you know, uh, uh, again, compliment them. And it's a way of like letting people know, like, Hey, yeah, you did pretty good at this, but yeah, there's maybe one little tweak or something more you could have done. And when you receive things that way it's so much easier to hear here and you feel better about yourself so then you're actually more motivated to actually do better next time and so it was I was really sitting with this feeling of like you know how come this person didn't acknowledge me how come they didn't see all the good things that I did um and then I realized you know what I need to stop seeking the validation from this person because it wasn't just me. I, I, other people too, it was the same way with everybody. And it's like, why am I seeking validation from somebody who obviously can't give it or won't give it? And so it really kind of, I sat with it for a while and, and it became something that I, and again, I don't, I'm not always very conscious of it. I don't always remember it. But I try to keep it in mind that you know what? Seeking validation, praise, and recognition from people who from other people and then from people who aren't necessarily ones who are likely to give it, it just is is something that never serves us. And it's something that the more aware and the more conscious we are of it, that we can avoid it and we can uh, not go down that path that just leads to disappointment and frustration and, and doesn't really empower us to do better. So, uh, yeah, I I had to include this in the book because it was just too, uh, uh, important, uh, uh, for me personally. So, uh, I felt like, yeah, okay, we, we can do without this. Anyway, so that's um, this section. Again, that section is called If We Recognize Our Progress, We Don't Need Another's Praise. And that's from my book, Everyday Awakening, which if anyone would like to pick it up, you can get it at everydayawakeningbook.com. All right. So I I know I'm kind of like rushing through that. That, that topic kind of deserved a, a little bit more uh, time to it, but I just have... Um, a couple of amazing, wonderful guests that I really want to introduce to you. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Paul King and uh, Dr. Roshanak Hashemi-Yun. Um Paul King uh, hosts a conversation series and a podcast on Clubhouse on the topic of neuroscience, AI, and consciousness, which is what we're going to talk about today. This conversation series brings together researchers in the field of neuroscience, artificial intelligence, and also consciousness research to discuss theories of consciousness and how the brain works. He was a researcher for uh, a number of years at UC Berkeley's theoretical neuroscience lab and is, uh, I always never know how to pronounce this, Cora's? a uh, top writer on neuroscience where he answers questions about how the brain works. And Dr. Roshanak Hashmioun, who's the one who introduced me to Paul, is a behavioral neuroscientist and the founder of Access to the Path. As a highly trained scientific researcher, she combines the power of neuro, of modern science with emotional and spiritual intelligence to generate compelling and innovative strategies that help people and businesses become more purposeful, effective, and prosperous. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Paul and Dr. Roshanak.
2: Yeah, thank you, Sam. Looking forward to our conversation.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very thrilled to have you both here. And, and, and I know, uh, Dr. Roshanak, you're, you're over in Germany, Paul's in California. This is going to be a very international a, a number of time zones that, that we're going to cover. Um, so uh, I always like to start off, we just got a couple of minutes before the first break. Uh, I'd like to, to to know, like, to give a little context to things. So I'll start off with you, Paul. And, and I'm just curious, what was it that really got you interested in these topics of neuroscience, AI, consciousness, you know, these kind of very deep fields?
2: Well, I'd say it started for me in junior high school when uh, we read a story about a computer that you could have a conversation with. And I thought, that's actually how computers worked. I thought that was really intriguing. I later found out computers were a lot more mundane than that <laughs> uh, in high school. <laughs> and then in high school, um, I came across this book, Go to Lesherbach, uh, by Douglas Hofstadter.
1: Uh, oh, and yes, It was yes.
2: to a lot of people.
1: Yes, Go to Lesherbach. Yes, I remember that. It was a thick book. It was a thick book. And it's not really
2: clear what the book was about. And yet it really opened up my thinking about what is consciousness. It really got me interested in this idea of consciousness. Right. Um, and then in college, I took some AI classes and realized that uh, at that time, this artificial intelligence build had no idea how to make a mm. smart computer uh, yes. or consciousness. It had no idea there. Um, and that created an interest in neuroscience. It's like, okay, if we don't know how to build yes. such a thing right now, we should at least figure out how the only working system that can do this works. And mm. that's the brain. Yes. And yes. there, I really got an interest in neuroscience and um, eventually went to this Berkeley lab.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, um, my degree, my college undergraduate degree is in computer science, and I hung around with a bunch of hackers in my first year of college, and, uh, and, and I remember hearing about the Turing test, right? About you know whether a computer could fool you that that you were talking to a human being, not a computer. And I thought it's was, it was so fascinating, and oh, like, that's like, right.
2: Um, well, and, and one and of the very early computer programs was called Eliza. Uh, and it was basically mm-hmm. a trick, but it would fool you into thinking that the computer actually uh, was understood you. It pretended to be a psychotherapist, of all things. Right, uh, right. And his trick is that uh, every now and then it would take a word you had used a few sentences ago and work it into a sentence, and it left you with a feeling like, oh, it's really listening. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and Dr. Roshanak, what got you interested in neuroscience, of all things?
3: Well, I've been interested in neuroscience since I was a girl. Um, so thank you so much for having us on the show. I'm so excited to be here. Um, when I was a little girl, I was about four years old. I learned about atoms and mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, these are the smallest basic fundamental particles that create the universe. They, they create the fabric of the universe. And then, then I found out you could split them. And I thought, oh my god, <laughs> change the fabric of the universe? I'm in. So at four years old, I wanted to be a nuclear physicist. And then as time went on, I was very interested in um, philosophy, and I was very spiritual, even as a child. And I eventually started to learn that everything goes through your brain, all of it. So two things really got me interested. Number one, that this concept of reality, despite the atoms and the fundamental particles that we know about now um really still your brain is what's processing everything that's like the final last bit that makes reality reality for you so i got very interested in the brain and then i you know we know about black boxes in biology right And and there's this black box that occurs between the brain and the mind and i thought i gotta figure this out so i became very interested at a young age I started studying um, psychology around the age of 12. I graduated with a bachelor's in behavioral neuroscience and then went on to get a um, PhD in physiology and biophysics and uh, work as a computational um, neuroscience for some years. I did social neuroscience. So uh, referring to what Paul was saying, we did some work at the Center for Complex Systems with um, brain-computer interface. So we did human-to-human. experiments. And then we did human to machine where the person thought that they were uh, working with another human, but it was a machine. Wow. And so interesting to see how we anthropomorphize the machine and thought and gave it intention, gave it motivation. And so that was really interesting. And then I moved on to work in neuropsychiatric disorders and neuropathology. So finally I ended up founding the Brain and Behavior Laboratory at the Department of Functional Stereotactic Neurosurgery. Uh, here in Cologne, Germany, and the work that I was doing was in deep brain stimulation with these neuropsychiatric patients, so Parkinson's, essential tremor, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, depression, addiction, and, of course, Tourette's. Mm So, kind of my history, and then I wanted to move out of all this amazing information that could serve people. That's why I went into science. I thought it was, and I still do, I think it's a noble profession, and Mm -hmm. it's here to serve. So with that, I I went on to extend beyond the scientific and academic community and found access to Path, and here
1: we are. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, wonderful. I'm so excited to have you both on the show today. Um, we're gonna. I want to get into some some really important things, but we, it's time for us to take our first commercial break. I do see William loyal listeners, William and Sanaya uh, on the Facebook Live um make sure you guys like like keep typing in and let me know when you have questions and stuff because we got a couple of real experts here so when we come back i want to let's just start off uh, some basic like define some terms that maybe we think we know what they mean but they don't we we may not be quite as clear about them like What is mind? What is consciousness? What is the mind, the brain, things like that. And we'll just kind of lay the foundation, and then we'll we'll go much deeper. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook uh, with our Facebook Live. And we will be right back after these messages. That's the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon, on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness... That the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC.
4: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC Uplift, Educate, Empower.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Waking h- Humanity. I'm glad everyone got the memo about wearing dark colors today, black. It looks like we're all wearing black <laughs> <is today>. <laughs> We're just blending okay. minds. And
3: <laughs> we coordinated.
1: I see. I see. Perfectly. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Roshanak mentioned something before about like the mind and consci- uh, the mind and the brain. Now, the mind is not necessarily the same thing as the brain, is it, Paul?
2: Well, I think most of us would say no. If you look at someone in a coma, you'd say they've got a brain, but no mind. Right. So the mind is something that the brain is doing, uh, but it's not always doing it. And maybe it's not doing it when we're asleep and dreamless sleep. Um, And that actually takes us to... Uh, perhaps the question of what is consciousness? If, you know, exactly. You are a mind, See, on mind on reader. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, I've been so watching those stage ball. magicians.
1: <laughs> so, so, so Dr. Roshanak, what is consciousness then? What What is, well, let's, maybe well, let's ask it this way. What would you say is the generally accepted definition of consciousness? And is that, does that really cover it?
3: So consciousness is a loaded term. And it is the hard problem of science, of neuroscience, because we can't read on a definition for it, right? So everybody has their own definition for it. Uh, Some people consider consciousness uh, to be the mind. Some people consider consciousness to be the soul. Um, It runs the gamut across this this range of of definitions. Um, There is this thought that it is, sort of the pure self, something outside the ego, or the mind, or the embodied self, right? Right. Um, In science, we may think of it as an emergent property of the brain, which is a complex system. So to define consciousness, you might want to think of it in terms of the different types of consciousness, right? Mm. So there's this phenomenological consciousness which is describing the experience of what we are, um, who, like what it means to be me or you or human. Right, right. And there's intentional consciousness, which is being aware at all, sort of as a yes. simplified, general, two of the possible breakdowns that we could give to consciousness. And and with respect to the brain and the mind, I always thought it was very interesting because you would say to someone, "I'm going to give you a piece of my mind," but you would never say to them, "I'm going to give you a piece of my brain." <laughs> that would just be wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not. I want to keep all my brain cells, whatever's left. I don't know how many are left, but I want to keep what I have. Right. Um, Something I might add, if
2: I can. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul. Uh, building on what Roshanak said is uh, there is a, a generally agreed on definition of consciousness that's used in uh, neuroscience and also in medicine, which mm-hmm. is the difference between dreamless sleep and being awake. Uh, you mm. know, you say, oh, that person was knocked unconscious. You sort of mean something by that, that you know, you right. can't interact with them and they're not aware. And uh, someone is emerging from general anesthesia, you know, the doctor's going to come around and see if they can interact, see if they know where they are, if they're oriented. Um, and so that's the definition that, is used in neuroscience, uh, and also somewhat the definition that's used in philosophy of mind, this question of, uh, you know, the mind-body problem that gets talked about a lot.
1: Right. And I've heard recently that that some scientists are starting to recognize that there is human consciousness, and then there are other kinds of consciousness, for instance, dolphins, that that there was a study done in where they said, like, dolphins have a consciousness, it's just a non-human consciousness.
2: Yeah, the emerging view seems to be that there's gradations of consciousness, uh, and humans might have a more advanced form of consciousness, but, you know, people feel like their dog is conscious, It's sort of, you can interact with it, it sort of seems to understand you, uh, there's some emotional connection. Octopuses are actually um, believed to be conscious by some researchers.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the documentary on Netflix, uh, My Octopus Teacher, but it's, it's very popular and it's very, very interesting to see this gentleman's interaction with this octopus and how it developed over time. And one of the things I found most fascinating was like when he f- filmed the octopus when it didn't know he was around and it was like dancing almost. And it was like, what is it doing? You know, why is it doing that? <laughs> It's passing the time, playing, right. perhaps. But I it does
2: make was... us wonder. Oh, yeah, make us wonder, what is it? You know, what do we notice when something is conscious? What makes us think the octopus is conscious? Right. There's a sense that there's a there there, that it seems there's recognition. And recognition seems a big part of our projection of consciousness onto other beings. You know, we know our we're conscious. How do we know about anyone else? Right, right. I
3: think that speaks to that attentional definition of consciousness, that awareness of versus the phenomenological. And I would just say that the, I, I disagree with you, Paul. I, as neuroscientists, I don't know that we have a definition. I mean, there is a big debate about what what is consciousness. Um, in fact, there's a competition about it. Medically, we have that's the one p- place that consciousness is well-defined, right? So when mm-hmm. you're medically conscious or unconscious, that's easy. Um, but with respect to do we really have a definition of consciousness, we're still arguing exactly what it is. And I would say that there's also a competition that's going on right now between two of the salient theories of consciousness um, with a $5 million grant that's supporting it. And, um, and they're, they're pretty differing approaches to consciousness. But again, the problem is the definition when you can't, when you can't agree on a definition, how can you measure it? How can you produce it? How can you give it a quality do you see what i'm saying so i would disagree with you there paul
1: all right some dis- disagreement already all right we're gonna have and a and also there's show.
3: perceptual consciousness paul had the, paul runs this great show on clubhouse and he's had multiple guests come on with um very interesting discussions and explanations and debates it's a it's a fantastic show and i think uh you have it available on your site or something right paul
2: uh, yeah, there's um, a recording yeah. of that exchange. It was great. We had the uh, um, uh, editor in chief of the journal Neuroscience of Consciousness was there asking questions, uh-huh. and the presenter was uh, a neuroscience researcher from Estonia uh, who has found what he believes is the neural mechanism of consciousness in certain types of neurons and how they um, how the parts of the neurons communicate with each
1: other. Okay, I, I want to ask a question now, to, and we kind of move in a certain direction, and that is. What is the relationship between intelligence and consciousness? Is there any, Paul? Well, uh, it's actually a
2: great question because artificial intelligence is about the creation of systems that are, we'd say intelligent. You know, they can beat the best chess player in the world, beat the best go player. Right. Maybe they yeah. actually are separate. And mm-hmm. an and octopus but not, I mean, a little bit intelligent, maybe, but not like, uh, you know, it's not going to pass any tests in school. So uh, yeah, they different. I think we would probably feel that for a human being, you have to be conscious first before you can build on intelligence.
1: Right, but there's a lot of and 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 I guess Dr. Roshanak, this would be a question for you. Like, there are many animals that have a certain level of intelligence, but we don't necessarily <laughs> consider them self-aware, do we?
3: Well, I think the big question is, and what sets us apart as humans is we have the ability to look into the future and the past, which we think animals don't. And that's a consciousness that we have that's, uh, that, is, that is specific to us. Mm. And so it, you can have different levels of intelligence, but does that speak to consciousness? That's, I think not because first of all, what Paul said, but also you have neurodivergent people, right?
0: Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. Um, there may be varying levels of intelligence. There may be neurodivergence. They're still all conscious, right? right? This ability to look into the future and the past, to time travel, as it were, I think that's something that is specific to us so far as we know, humans. And so we that's part of that ph- phenomenological consciousness of you know what it's like to be me. How I feel. How I can project. You know, it's it's this qualitative thing that it's very hard for science because science likes to um, or actually does attempt to extract all that's qualitative and out of the the out of reach into a realm of tractable, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you do that with consciousness? So this is this is where the um, the challenge would be.
1: Right. You know, we need to go to another break, but it's kind of like what you says also kind of reminds me of just how things have developed over the centuries where in in many hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, sort of science and spirituality and religion was kind of like all and magic was all sort of one uh, philosophical endeavor and now it's kind of split out, and we have science sort of separate from spirituality, separate from religion, separate from, from these sort of extrasensory things, which in the past were always lumped together. And I'm curious, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more about, you know, should they maybe come back together a little bit um, to help to... Understand this sort of phenomena of consciousness a little bit. But, and I do also want to talk, Paul mentioned about artificial intelligence. I do want to get into that and sort of the implications, especially in today's world and what's been happening over the last, you know, not just a couple of years, but over the last five, 10 years with technology and how that's developed. But we'll get into that after we come back from this break. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour. With Paul King and Dr. Roshanak Hashemiun, and we will be right back after this.
4: Howdy! I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc.
0: Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional,
4: or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Bako Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view.
0: Are you passionate about the conversation around racism?
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking today all about consciousness, neuroscience, artificial intelligence. Um, so just real, real quickly, before we get into the artificial intelligence, is there any benefit, any usefulness in sort of looking at sort of the spiritual traditions and what they have to say around consciousness that can help us in this, this world where it, even scientists aren't agreeing upon what it really is. Paul, any, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's difficult to say. I mean, the, you know, the world of science wants things it can measure. Uh, so uh-huh. it's going to focus on things it can measure. But of course, uh, you know, spiritual traditions, uh, you know, Native Native American uh, meditation, I mean, that's intensely studied, because that, uh, you know, brings people to different conscious states. Uh, we could ask, you know, what does that mean to be in a different conscious state? But altered states of consciousness is something that's actively studied and uh, maybe in these sort of higher, more aware states. You know, some would say we're connecting to something about the universe, but what would that mean scientifically? It's hard to know.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I've heard the term used now, uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness. Um, uh, Dr. Roshanak, is there any utility in looking at non-ordinary states of consciousness or is it just something that's too outside of what we can study in a lab that there's not necessarily much utility there?
3: Well, (laughs) we already explained how hard it was to try to measure consciousness insofar as defining it anyway, as that's the hard problem of neuroscience. So I think adding this other extra super qualitative layer would be really hard, right? So um, I think that's just adding another layer of difficulty to that. But, you know, insofar as um, the spiritual and the science go, yes, they have been, up until fairly recently, as far as history goes, one and the same. And as I said earlier on, with respect to defining um, consciousness, you you have various religions, you have, I mean, it started with Plato and Descartes, I guess, probably before that even, where they started talking about a duality, right? Mm -hmm. That which was stuff that was material and that which was consciousness and so began this whole concept of the soul and the spirit that we might look at or try to study separately but we're already having some issues and we're working on it trying to study consciousness for example as you know a matter of um salience so the the two um, strong contenders for theories of consciousness are um, uh, Giulio Tononi's um, integrated information theory which uh, has this uh, idea of in- integrated information which is um, represented by phi and the higher the phi is the higher the consciousness is mm. and there's another very different theory which is the global neuronal um, workspace theory workspace. yeah and um, and that is more about salience. The more salient something becomes, the more conscious of it you are. So and that and so now imagine taking something like that and then adding this layer of completely qualitative. Where are you how are you going to even you can't define it? How are you going to nail it down and try to measure it or reproduce it? So you see that that wouldn't work. Dr. Roshnak,
1: I I also hear there's this underlying assumption also when it comes to neurology and consciousness that the brain is a generator of consciousness, yet I've heard certain people, philosophical, spiritual people say, well, no, actually the brain is a receiver of consciousness, not a generator of consciousness. What's your feeling? It's a
3: bit like of that Janus syndrome, right? If you could, I think it it could be both, you know, where... Mm. You know, on the one hand, it is an emergent property of the brain, and that just could sort of really simplifies it. it. It again comes back to what is your definition, and then you can move forward. Yeah. But if it's coming from these func- from the functional architecture of the brain, um, and then becomes an emergent property of a complex system, which the brain is in, in an open system, then yes, um, you can start to look at it as something that is being expressed out. Um, but it, but you can also look at it as in terms of being received, of what is—did oh, you want to say something? No, go ahead. Oh, I thought I heard something. Um, so when you think, of, you know, in terms of understanding the nature of things and and what is what is out there that is outside of the the um, embodied existence of us, then how do we connect with that? In this way, you need a receiver, right? Hmm. There has to be some way to connect with it. So if you see consciousness as all that is outside, or you can see it as a non-duality, I like to think of it in terms of an intersection of art and science. So science, as I said, is is trying to take all that is out of reach and bring it into a tractable um, place. It's something where you can sort of bring the divine into beingness, right? And, And so it's a description, And art, art is an expression, right? So whatever is within you, you try to bring out, you communicate, and communication is communion. So we're talking about that that intersection, that communion, or that reception, how are you going to do that? So you, you could be, as you do in art, you know, whatever is within me, I'm trying to take out and express to you, but I'm also influenced by the outside world. In. so when you talk about Godell, Escher and Bach it's sort of like the Escher hands drawing each other right
0: yeah.
3: um, so that intersection really uh, is I think where we could define one type of consciousness you know between the two that's where divinity is that's where humanity is sort of cradled and intersecting with that greater than us so Paul okay.
2: add that Oh, yeah. Oh, just to add to that, yeah. there is, I think there is a basic debate out there about is consciousness something that's fundamental to the universe that mm-hmm. the brain is tapping into somehow, uh, or is it something that's, that's the side effect of uh, neural activity, something that the brain makes possible?
1: Great. So let's just postulate for the moment. Let's just say this brain, this this network of neurons that's very complex and comes together, generates some kind of intelligence consciousness. then. As our computers now are getting more and more sophisticated, more and more uh, 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 dense in terms of the circuitry and everything, are we actually creating an artificial intelligence that can lead to an artificial consciousness? Or is there still sort of a qualitative difference between what's being generated by circuitry as opposed to biology?
2: Yeah, I think that artificial consciousness is going to be possible. I think we're going to get there. But uh, there is this debate, uh, and it's called the hard problem in philosophy of mind. Uh, what if you had some machine, or maybe a sort of another copy of a person uh, that had all the same mechanical things going on, and this person appeared to be exactly like a familiar person, uh, but uh, it was nothing but procedural program steps? You know, Would that other entity be conscious? Uh, or do we say that it's, uh, it's a zombie consciousness, is what philosophers like to say. Mm-hmm. So would a computer be zombie consciousness? Would it just appear to be conscious, but it's not actually conscious? Um, I think there's another view, you know, maybe it's the Turing test view. It says, well, if by all appearances it's conscious, then who are we to say that it's not? If it acts conscious, mm-hmm. it uh, can talk about itself, it can reflect on what it's like to be a computer, um, how it's, you know, it feels different than what it sees about human beings. Uh, If we feel like uh, it has self-awareness and we can understand and relate to it and even has emotions then what would it mean to say that it's not conscious maybe if it's sufficiently similar to consciousness then that's the same as being conscious
1: dr roshanak do you agree or disagree
3: uh, well i mean i i think paul is quite brilliant and uh often enjoy listening to what he says i would say that yes, if it is an emergent property, if you can create this complex system that um, you, know, you have order parameters and control parameters, and then you, get, you can get this um, consciousness as, as an emergent property of the system. We have this in science, in physics, in biology, where you have this spontaneous self-assembly and then this emergent properties that come out of these systems. So if that would be easy enough to create and then that definition, which is an emergence that if you call that consciousness, yes, we could create conscious AI Mm -hmm. now. There's a lot of sexy around AI, but I remember when I was a graduate student, which was like a hundred years ago, (laughs) back then we were saying, oh my God, AI is going to take over the world. And here I am, you know, I'm 95 and we're (laughs) we're still saying the same thing, you know, in fact for a while, it just got real quiet about AI. Now it's, you know, back on the scene again. So I'm a little bit like, "Eh." so again, it goes back to how do you define it? What is it composed of? Where does it come from? Where does it go to? You know, so until you can get this sort of feel for it, but the difference is, again, when you talk about it phenomenologically, this qualia, you know, you know, red is a wavelength, but how do I see red? Mm. You know, can, can this AI feel, you know, the joy of watching a child smile or a sunset, you know, how does it process that information? What comes in and out of it as you were uh asking the question before, you know, is it an expression or are we receiving it?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I see there's so many like science fiction TV shows now that are all and and movies and stuff that are all about, well, now, if you can create that kind of awareness and then you put it into a robotic body that kind of looks like a human, like mm-hmm. what are the implications for us as human beings? Do we become, uh, uh something irrelevant is is that like the next evolutionary step that then supersedes us the way we've sort of superseded our you know ancestors from you know 400 500,000 years ago the and and, and have uh, uh dominated sort of the world so
3: this is yeah, very this is the idea
1: oh. yeah this is the idea of the singularity
2: if yeah. uh, machines keep getting smarter at some point, there's going to be a machine that's smarter than people, and it's going to divide It's going to take over designing the smart machines that'll then get even smarter still, and it'll be uh, an accelerating curve of intelligence, and we'll just be wondering what happened. How did the world change?
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, but there's already a question about are we living in a simulation anyway? So it goes back to my question of reality, <laughs> right? Yes. So there's first of all that, and I think this really brings up the idea that you know going back again to duality and non-duality and and our ego and consciousness being something that's outside of ego and mind, you know, we are so egoic in saying, what would supersede us? What if we Mm. become irrelevant? Do you see how this becomes very interesting when you're talking about consciousness as consciousness itself is supposed to be outside of ego and mind?
2: Mm. Well, I think the egoic thing is to think that humans will always be on top.
1: Yes. (laughs) So I got a couple of questions on the Facebook live, but we got to take, believe it or not, our last break. Um, So when we come back, I'm going to ask you these questions. And then I really want to get down to sort of today, like what's happening now and how is the kind of research into these things affecting day-to-day life in today's world. Okay. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 PM Eastern time, filled with fascinating conversations like today. And we will be right back after these messages.
4: Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world.
0: Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey?
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. So I got a couple of questions here on the Facebook Live. The first one I'll direct to you, Dr. Roshnak, and the second one to you, Paul. So the first one is, do you believe that neurology sensory relates to spiritual sensitivity or sensitivities? And then maybe we'll say more like, do, do sort of these extrasensory capabilities, are these something that generated by the brain, or is it something that kind of more, because we're sensitive, we're feeling it. Get so we have, yeah. sorry? Do you get it?
3: Um, I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, we have the five senses, and these get processed in the brain, right? And so literally, by definition, extrasensory perception, you know, that's something that, you, if you talk about something like clairsentience, clairvoyance, right? Um, these are, you're receiving this, And you're not receiving it through any of your senses, right? So that kind of answers that question sort of in a minute. And then there's this idea of 5D and how we have what is outside of our five senses um, and understanding and connecting and tapping into that essence. So I think those two both would would say that, of course, we don't know um, and we can't know if you know, we're still learning so much about about the brain. We know a lot, but it's still very little and it's continuously evolving. So it is entirely possible that, you know, like when, you know, we discovered mirror neurons, you know, or anything Mm. else, um, that was something extremely novel and unexpected. So how can we know? We may yet discover that we have some sort of receptor or... Possibility for a process, but as of now, by sort of the definition, um, it would not seem to be the case.
0: Okay.
2: And I would add that it's been very difficult to reproduce ESP effects in controlled lab environments. So it Mm. remains uh, something that's uh, pretty speculative, I'd say, from a scientific viewpoint.
1: Gotcha.
3: Although there is science that is supporting remote viewing, right? So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we need to I, want to, I mean, I could talk about this stuff with you guys for hours. <laughs> yeah. um, the second question, Paul, directed to you is, can something be conscious without a soul or a heart? Or I'll just say, can something is truly be conscious if, if it doesn't have an emotional quality, if there's not something more than just programs running?
2: Uh, I mean, I think we relate more to consciousness that has uh, a soul or a heart. Uh, I mean, we could ask what it means to have a soul. Um, mm. but, uh, certainly that emotional connection seems really important, but, uh, you know, there are people, uh, you know, uh, you could say people who are described as kind of Asperger who don't seem to have as much of an emotional connection. We wouldn't say they're not conscious. No. So, uh, the emotional connection is, is nice to have. Mm. Uh, I guess scientists, uh, would say that consciousness is just the result of how the neurons are communicating with each other. Uh, and that, um, uh, you know, the soul is something that we sort of use to explain it to ourselves. But then, you know, people coming from a spiritual tradition would say the soul is primary and the brain is just a, a vessel holding the soul. So uh, yeah. I guess hard to say.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's I guess, up to you, anyone's opinion of it. So so let's talk about sort of the, this, this what's been happening and how sophisticated we've gotten with our programming, the artificial intelligence and and how it's affecting today's society and 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 into normal day-to-day life. Um I th- I have a sneaking suspicion that most people don't realize that there is some very sophisticated programming that's going into all kinds of things from advertising to design to all kinds of stuff. Paul h- how are we seeing this stuff and what is really the implication for what's going on for humanity today?
2: Yeah well uh, you raise a good point and I think the thing to keep in mind is that uh, when you talk about online, uh, let's say you're looking at you know a Google search result or ad- ads are being shown to you or you're on Facebook, uh, everything that you're seeing is being decided by an algorithm and those algorithms are all powered by AI. They're all looking at all the things that you could be shown. Uh, you know, Google search results, there's, you know, billions of pages out there, and you're only going to see 10. So which are those 10? Um, That's all being decided by AI. And in the case of ads, the ads are being selected based on what the computer thinks you're likely to click on and engage with, uh, based on studying what everyone else does, and uh, trying to figure out how you fit into what everyone else is doing, and using that to predict your behavior. So yeah, AI is deciding what we see, uh, you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Maybe that's a good thing because the AI is trying to show us what we want, or maybe it's a bad thing because it's just going to show us what someone else wants us to see uh, and what we're going to, uh, you know, it's going to sort of in, invite us to buy stuff that we don't really need because um, it knows it can and someone is willing to pay for that.
1: All right. So, Dr. Roshanak, is this something we should embrace or something to worry about?
3: So I think it's a bit worrisome, to be honest, for multiple reasons. Number one, we already know that AI is highly flawed at the, t- at the moment. Um, with respect to things like facial recognition, you know, even interviews for jobs, you know, it, it can't read humans uh, properly. And that's the that's the problem we're facing with respect to that. So when law enforcement uses it, when companies use it, um, these kinds of things are problematic. When it comes to confirmation bias, you know, the algorithm is going to show you, you're living in an echo chamber, it's going to show you what you want to know. You're not going to have the opportunity, you know, assuming that we are Sort of siloed in our our social circles, and then what we get we, we receive through Facebook or what we receive through uh, the searches based on what we've already looked at, then we just become really, <laughs> really skewed in one direction there's less of an opportunity unless we're trying to actively get into something else like i have multiple devices multiple computers multiple phones i use them differently this is how i you know how i sort of try to overcome that so i think mm-hmm. there's a real danger at the moment with that and we don't have any as paul said we don't have any control over that
4: right. um,
3: and and there is a lot of neuromarketing being used so yeah
1: So, so Paul, like Groshanak mentioned, like having multiple devices and using them differently. Do you have any suggestions of what can people do to be more conscious or more aware of sort of the implications of this artificial programs that are like showing us all kinds of things?
2: Uh, Well, I think one thing is just to realize that um, the things you're seeing uh, are being selected for you and to uh, make a point of having more choice in that, Uh, you know, seek out your content. I think the real risk is notifications. All those notifications are trying to draw your attention into things, and I think turning notifications off and creating a way where you're deciding what you're seeing and not just uh, following whatever the device says is a way of getting control of your own attention and control of your own, um, you know, destiny.
1: Yeah, I. I... Have, I have to turn like almost all of the notifications off on my phone because I'm connected to so many people. I would never get anything done if I left those notifications on. So I turned them all off. I, I am so, so sorry. We're, we're almost at the end of the show. I, I literally, I, I love our conversation. I could talk with you guys for hours. Um but uh before we go, just uh Dr. Roshanak, if you have would like to let people know about maybe your website or your clubhouse channel, like how can people you know follow you, learn more about you?
3: So um I have a website that's under construction at the moment, but um there is some information on it and it's access to the path.com. So access to the path, one word dot com. And um you can drop your email in there, you can connect with me that way um, and learn a little bit more about me. Um, Also, I am on Clubhouse uh, with my full name, but my handle is at access to the path and also on Instagram and LinkedIn at access to the path. So, and I did have a Twitter account, but I changed my phone number and so they blocked me. So I don't know if that's (laughs) going to work. Anybody can help me. Here I am.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. How about you, Paul?
2: Yeah, so I can be found on my website, which is pking.org. Uh, and uh, I do host this uh, Clubhouse series called uh, Neuroscience, AI, and Consciousness, uh, which can be found on Clubhouse. Uh, we host uh, these conversations with researchers um, and on Quora, uh, lots of uh, answers to all your questions about how the brain works and what's known in neuroscience. Right.
1: And I there sometimes
3: too. What was that? I said,
1: I show up there sometimes too. Ah, yes, yes. Well, listen, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Dr. Roshanak, so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it, especially since my regular guest just disappeared on me. And so uh, you guys filled in at the last minute. But what an awesome show this has been. Thank you so much. And thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in as always, especially with all the questions on Facebook. Thank you so much. And if you missed any part of today's show, remember you can catch... Uh, The recording on all of the podcasting platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, we're all over the place, and of course on talkradio.nyc. Um, and make sure you tune in later today with uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern time with Frank Harrison and his show, Frank About Health, followed by Johnny Tsunami and his show, Planet Pacalolo. Um, we will be back next week. I've got a wonderful guest, uh, uh, Sandra Bargman, uh, joining me next week. I think you'll really enjoy uh, that conversation, a very different conversation because she's a, a performance artist and uh, into a consciousness of a Different Sort. So thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.
3: Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Paul.
1: Thanks. Yeah, this is fun.
4: You're listening to Talk Radio. NYC. Uplift. Educate. Empower.